Please stand for the reading of God's word. Today's verses are John 1.14, which can be found on page 750 in the Red Bible. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Acts 16, 6 through 10, which can be found on page 784 in the Red Bible. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Messiah, they tried to keep, they tried to enter Benitha, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed Messiah and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Please add a blessing to the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Who had to read that, not me. That she was reading that, not me. (laughs) She just did an excellent job. I have concluded there's something special about the name Samantha. I know, right this minute, I know three Samanthas that are students, and all three are really sharp kids. So uh, for those of you that may be having babies re- uh, soon, uh, let me just give you a hint about Samantha. This morning, no commercials. I do have something, as most of you, as many of you know, I'm vice chair of the corporation which means in without pastor that I sort of oversee things. Um, And so I would like to read this to you as vice chair of the corporation. With the passing of Pastor Gordon, this is the part where I sound like God. (laughs) Anyhow, with the passing of Pastor Gordon, there are many questions about the future. First, there is a plan that Pastor Gordon approved for the fall. It seems best to the staff to follow through with this plan. We have been in contact with Dr. Babby, uh, superintendent of the Southwest District of the Wesleyan Church. He will arrange a meeting with us as soon as practical. I recommend that we be in prayer, that God will give us clear direction with the help of Dr. Babby as we look forward to the future. I feel it is best that we do not spend time speculating on the leadership for the future until we have had time to grieve the loss of our pastor and to celebrate his life and his homegoing. If anyone you know has need for pastoral care, uh, either contact a Nico or one of the pastors. It is our intent to provide for the needs of the congregation and our partners in ministry, meaning the dot-coms and the other congregations. Our pastoral team will operate collegially uh, in a cooperative manner. 
I believe that Pastor Gordon built a sound foundation in the congregation and a pastoral team with a cooperative spirit such that, uh, no, that not any one of us needs to be in charge. Each member ha of the pastoral team have their tasks to do. We will be meeting regularly. Your prayers are coveted. So thank you. So we will move in terms of leadership in a expeditious but very careful manner. And like I say, at this time, I think it's best that we not speculate on what the future may hold in that area. We simply don't know enough to do that. Then I have one other thing that I want to read, simply because when I read this, it really touched me. I know those of you that were able to go on the website and read what Kim wrote were impressed at her ability to convey emotion in what she wrote. Uh, and so I do want to read Thursday morning, September 15th. Gordon entered into the City of Hope 14 years ago with this passage from his friend, Rene Durfield. Hear my cry, O God. Attend my prayer. From the end of the earth I will cry to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And I believe he entered the kingdom of heaven, saying, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And hearing, well done, my good and faithful servant. We have been comforted and drawn strength by all your encouragement, love, and prayers over the past few weeks. Thank you. Eternally in his group. Pastor, for those of you that may not know, that was his sign-off in his grip. Now we can say for certain, eternally in his grip. Eternally in his, gri in his grip. So very important. Well, let me go back and read just a portion, then, of Acts 16, and we're going to read the 9th and 10th verses in particular. During the night... Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, con concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. The person who's writing here, by the way, is Luke. And this is among the first times that he says we. Up till this point, he was talking about they, he apparently at this point has joined the group. So now he's talking about we. Paul had a calling to go to the Gentiles. That was his task. He had that calling. He was to go to the Gentiles and share the good news of Jesus Christ. The only problem that Paul had was in every way he turned, he ended up with opponents. People who thought he was all wet, if you will. Uh, in, in Philippians 3, verses 4 through 6, it says, If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, for zeal persecuting the church, for, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. 
As a Jew, he had been everything a Jewish man should be. And I'm pretty sure that those who were uh, still Jews couldn't figure out what the deal was with Paul. Uh, I, I can imagine them wanting to send a deprogrammer to see Paul and change what he's doing. They were looking, something's wrong with this guy. He was so zealous for the faith, and now here he is up there with those Christians doing all these odd things. What's wrong with him? So I'm sure that the Jewish community was opposed to Paul. They were concerned about him. And on most occasions, with the exception of Athens uh, and, uh, where, and with Lydia and her ladies, he went first to the synagogue and would speak until they chucked him out, until they threw him out, because he wasn't telling them what they wanted to hear. So then he goes on, and there were some Jews who had accepted Christ as Savior. They had accepted Christ as Savior, at least as they understood it. But what they understood was that though they had accepted Christ as Savior, Judaism was still the right way. So what they did was add Christ on top of Judaism. And their opposition was, we think it's wonderful that these Gentiles have accepted Christ. We can see that Christ came for everybody, so we think that's great. Now all they have to do to make it perfect is become ceremonial Jews, which there is a procedure to do. They can be baptized into the Jewish faith while they're baptized into Christ. That's probably works. And uh, they can um, uh, have circumcision, and uh, they can keep the high holy days. And, oh, by the way, the dietary laws need to be kept, and they need to be sure not to work on the Sabbath, which means if I'm a tailor, I can't leave a pin in my coat, because if I do, I'm carrying my tools, therefore I'm working on Sunday or on Saturday, I can't do that, and so on. And so what they were doing were traveling, when Paul would go to some place and a church would be founded, there was a group of these people that followed him to then give them further instruction. They, wanted to, they were really concerned about them, they really appreciated what Paul taught, but he just didn't complete the whole thing. And since he didn't complete the whole thing, then we just have to add to it. Have you ever met anybody like that? You, you've learned something, you know something, and you're doing just fine, and there's somebody that wants to come along and thinks it's wonderful what you're doing now. If you'll just do it my way, it'll be perfect. Well, that's what these Jews were like. The whole book of Galatians was written about that. The book of Galatians was written in response to these people that today we call Judaizers people who saw some truth in Christianity but felt it should stay as a sect of Judaism and that those Christians, those Gentile Christians, should convert to Judaism through all the ceremonies and all that was happening. And of course Paul says, if anybody preaches any other gospel than that which I preached, let them be accursed. And he went even further and he said, even if it's me, if I come back and preach another gospel, I should be accursed. That's basically what he's saying in Galatians. That's the whole book. That's the whole book. When you study it, keep it in mind, you'll see it, what he's doing. So he had opponents of people that were sort of Christians, but thought they had the better way. 
they had the complete message, Paul only had part of it. Uh, that's always interesting. And then, of course, there were those opponents who had financial interests. These were the guys that, the ones in particular you think about are the ones that worshipped Diana. And they made little silver statues of Diana. And when people would come to worship, they'd sell them the little silver. And they were making good money on that. I mean, it was a great business until Paul showed up. And now people begin to turn to Christ, and it's just ruining their business. And you remember, they left him for dead. That's how important they thought it was. They left him for dead. There were, there were political opponents as well, people who were afraid that maybe Paul was undermining what was going on. That's how he ended up in the Philippian jail, because they were worried that Paul was going to undermine their political... You know, one of the things that we have to understand, and it's one of those things politically that I, uh, I think about a lot because I'm usually in the status quo area in my politics, uh, or ret I'm actually go back a ways, and, uh, but one of the things that we have is we know that people that are in political power are interested in keeping everything like it is because they're top dogs in the political power. And if you change, I might no longer be there. And so there were political opponents to Paul as well. Paul had opponents on every side. He had opponents on every side. Uh, but, and so Paul had a calling to do he knew what he had to do. He was called to the Gentiles with, to give the pure gospel. We are saved by the sacrifice of Christ through faith given to us by the Holy Spirit and nothing else. It is faith in Christ and nothing that makes you a Christian. There is learning and work to do afterwards, but you don't get that all done ahead of time. Regardless of how righteous or unrighteous you are before you meet Christ, Christ loves you the same way, and you come by the same door. If you're a millionaire, you come the same door as the guy on welfare. If you see yourself as being particularly talented, you come by the same door as the guy who's not talented. If you are particularly beautiful, or in my case, handsome. <laughs> uh, just looking at the guys, I've said this before, but there's some new people here, so I'll say it again. God only made a few perfect heads, the rest he covered with hair. Okay. Anyhow, the handsome people and the ugly people come by the same way. There aren't two ways to come. It's the same way, and that's what Paul taught. But Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia standing and begging him to come over and help. Come over and help. After Paul had seen the vision, he got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called him to preach the gospel to them, to take the gospel to them. Now understand that Paul had a, was surrounded by a bunch of Gentiles where he was. He was in Troas. There were Gentiles everywhere. He didn't have to go to Macedonia to find some Gentiles. They were everywhere. Uh, he, could, he, didn't, he was going to have to cross the Aegean Sea. He was going to have to do all that stuff and get to Philippi. If he, it would be more comfortable to stay here in, in, uh, Mas in uh, Troas. 
and preach the gospel here. After all, those people, these people deserve it as well. Why he could follow plans that he had made. And, and maybe next year he could go over to Macedonia, or maybe he could work it in two or three years from now when he'd go over to Macedonia. But, but he had ministry right there to do. The Spirit had already told Paul several places he couldn't go. I just find that a fascinating piece of the scripture. Uh, well, we're going to go, and the Spirit said to him, no, you're not going there. Well, then, no, you're not going there. You're not going there. From the standpoint of some of us, as we deal with this kind of call, it uh, doesn't make any sense. I like my life the way it is. I really don't want to rock the boat. Lord, I tell you what, when I retire, by the way, that is one good thing about retirement. You have time to go to doctors and also to do, also to do some of the things that you couldn't do when you were working. I trust in ministry that you can do. But the, he was told places he couldn't go, and if you look at it purely from the natural man, it didn't make any sense for him to receive that call to Macedonia. But if you really catch the vision of the ministry that God has for you, it is all-consuming. That's what it takes to catch the vision of what God has for you to do and to be. When you catch that vision of what God has for you to do and be, then moving forward is only logical. It begins to consume your life in an appropriate way. Now, sometimes uh, we know of athletes who have that kind of dedication. I'm always interested, I, would, I never thought there would be a prodigy of mine, um, a prodigy of mine, a, a grandchild who would run. My second grandchild, my grandson, runs. And he seems to enjoy it. It's astonishing. And he's good at it. You know? I cannot imagine, why would anyone do that? Back in the days when I actually could walk, you know, an urge would come on me to uh, jog, and I'd lay down until it went away. <laughs> but Roger Bannister was a runner, and he was good. He didn't train real hard, and yet even not having training, not training really hard, he set some records, uh, course records and meet records as he was running. He was doing pretty good. And then he caught a vision. He caught a vision. And you know what the vision he caught was? I can be the first person that runs a mile in less than four minutes. I can be the first person that runs a mile. Now, there's some people that said it couldn't be done. Roger Bannister, in a, in a book later, because he's a, a scientist, debunked the idea that it wasn't possible. But some, many people thought that's just not possible. You can't, a human being cannot run fast enough to run a mile in less than four minutes. At, when he caught that vision, he began to train like he had never trained before. It consumed him to train. He had people running with him to pacing to make sure he was running his fastest. Even when he ran the race in which he got less than four minutes, 
he had friends in that race who purposely paced him. They couldn't keep up with him, but they paced him to make sure he kept his pace in that race. And, and he finally, in 1954, broke the four-minute mile in Oxford, England. Since then, a whole bunch of people have broken the four-minute mile. But he was the first. He had a vision, and it consumed him. I've got a better vision. I've got a better vision than running the four-minute mile. We all have a better vision. Dr. Les Blank and several of you who are here today began, it was a time when the neighborhood around this church was changing. A different population was coming in. The houses were turning over. Many of the people that went to this church were going out uh, on east and buying houses on east of here. And the question was, should we sell this property and go and move out east? Or should we stay here and minister in this community? And Dr. Les Blank and a number of you, that, several of you that are here today, began to catch a glimpse of what the church could do and what the church could be in this immediate neighborhood. What you could do and what you could be in the San Gabriel Valley and through that, out to the world. This neighborhood, yes, people were moving out east, but this neighborhood needed this church. And we needed to reach this neighborhood where we are. And so less, uh, Dr. Blank and, the, and some of you in here who could name yourselves joined in searching for what all that meant. Well, Pastor Gordon came, and at first he came as an interim pastor. And I never really talked to him about exactly what happened, but my suspicion is he began to catch that same vision of what could be, and he began to develop that vision with you long before, well, quite a while before I got here. He began to develop that mission, that vision of what this church could be with you. And he began to see what was happening and what could happen. And so uh, in October 1999, uh, it was shortly after we got these chairs that we sit in here. Because the first time I came to visit, we, you had pews. About two months later, Beverly and I came back. And I'll tell you right now why we stayed. I am ordained in the Church of God Anderson. I am committed to the doctrine of the Church of God Anderson. The interesting thing is that's also pretty well the doctrine of the Wesleyan Church, so that makes it really easy. That makes it really easy for me to be here because we pretty well agree on everything. Uh, what minor, minor, minor disagreements there are are totally insignificant. What made me stay? Well, pastor preached a sermon that dealt with his vision that Sunday. And at the end of it, he said, if God is calling you to a particular ministry here, come and see me, and the answer will be yes. Amen. Here I am. <laughs> here I am. And so it is that the vision grew. The vision grew. The vision wasn't complete. We had a statement the statement, we are a Christian community called to worship God by impacting our neighborhood 
through meeting physical, educational, and spiritual needs resulting in devoted followers of Jesus Christ. That's the vision. At that vision. And when that vision was finished, a great experiment started. And I always appreciated that about Pastor. This, he says, is an experiment. We don't always know what we're doing. <laughs> That's true of me a lot, boy, I'll tell you. But we don't always know what we're doing. But we're moving in the spirit to accomplish the vision that God has given. That's what we're doing. That's what we're about. In his spirit, moving to accomplish the vision he's given. Additional people have come to the church since then. A number of you who are here that come uh, every Sunday are relatively new. So we have some who have been here for years and years and years, and some who have been here a little while. But we all share in the same vision. In the same vision. This vision was not to be by one man alone. Pastor Gordon never intended this vision to depend on him. That was never his idea. That's part of the reason he developed the pastoral team he, he developed. That's part of the reason for the preaching and teaching and, and leadership that he gave to this congregation. It was never intended to be his vision or to depend on him. But rather, this vision was to be the driving force, force for us all. When we have a, the, a, the same vision, we are one. That's the whole point. I just, Pastor Mark and Pastor Gordon didn't know what they were doing at the time. They came up with this idea, the fall we should emphasize one. By the way, we're going to start at 10.30 here on that Sunday. Don't go to Dalton Park at 10.30, okay? Just, I, I looked at that slide and I said, eh, most of us know what it meant, but it's a little confusing. So don't go to the Dalton Park at 10.30 unless you're holding the place for us. But, uh, but one, that whole idea, concept of one, and as it turns out, the Holy Spirit knew what, exactly what he was doing. Exactly what he was doing. We are in a period of time when it's doubly important that we focus on the vision and not upon people. We have great people here. Amazing people. On our LBA, on our councils, teaching Sunday school, uh, coming and working here and working there and doing various things and reaching out. And the pastoral staff, I find really easy to work with. And Aniko, well, have you ever had glue that holds the whole thing together? Well, there's the glue right back there. And, and Pastor Gordon through the work of the Holy Spirit, developed all of that so that we can focus on the vision during this time that we're trying to seek God's will in terms of leadership. So we're not going to focus on each other. Too often churches are working toe, uh, nose to nose. And they can see everything that's wrong with everybody else. We are going to work together shoulder to shoulder. 
with our eye on the vision. And we will leave it to the Holy Spirit to figure out what leadership we need and how we need it and what we should do. What I will tell you right now is when Lindy's ready, she will be back. Pastor Mark's not going anywhere. Pastor Dave is staying with us. For one thing, he can't go because he's got beautiful little daughters that I'm really attached to. So obviously he can't leave because if he does, he has to leave them. (laughs) We have Desiree doing a great job in the children. Uh, By the way, I always take credit for for hiring her. I was on the committee that hired her. So if you ever wonder what kind, next to marrying my wife and accepting Christ, one of the better decisions I ever made was hiring her. And she does a great job, as we look at it. We are in a good place to focus on the vision, to not let anything drop, but to go on, but to go on to continue to plan, to continue to develop the ways we can actually actualize, that's a good college word, or in other words, make true the vision that we have. We have that. We have that time. We can do that at this point because Pastor Gordon did such a great job at building into all of us the vision. The vision. And we want to continue on. Today we face great challenges. Because of the recession, our neighborhood is needier than it has been at least since the 1970s and maybe further back than that. And one of our commitments is to serve the neighborhood. That's the reason why we make room for the dot-coms, because each one of those serves a particular need that is needed in this area. We have congregations that are not Wesleyan congregations that meet here, and we support them because there is one church with many congregations. See, that's a good church of God outlook. There is but one church. There is not two churches. There is but one church in the world, and we are many congregations. And I always say it's the The name of the group is the first name. Church of God is the last name. So the Wesleyan Church of God. Anyhow. um, But the point is, we focus, we have these people here because we're trying to serve the neighborhood. And they are serving populations that we will not be able to serve as well. Love Inc. comes from out of Indonesia. The seventh-day group we have here are Filipino. Now, can Filipinos worship here? Well, I hope so, because we've got some. Okay. Uh, can people from Indonesia, and their, their vision is for all of the Asian peoples, uh, can we serve people that are Asian peoples? Again, I hope so, because we have some. But they have a particular mission. They have a particular mission to that place. And so we are here helping them and supporting them because it's part of our vision. It's what we do. We need to figure out how we can best serve the needs of the community around us. And we need to be involved in our community. Now, sociologists define neighborhood two different ways. 
The one we've been talking about is a physical place. So here we are. Our neighborhood is about a five-mile radius around us. Okay? That's our neighborhood. However, sociologists also define the neighborhood as my sphere of influence or your sphere of influence. And that becomes a neighborhood as well. And we're, not, and we're interested in not only impacting this physical neighborhood, but I'm also interested in impacting uh, each one of our associational neighborhood, where we have relationships, where we have contacts. And so we need to be involved in our communities. Involved in our communities. But today we face a particularly challenging time in church history in the United States. We have become, to a large extent, a secular society. We really could. Um, John Adams, the second president of the United States, uh, wrote, and he was on the committee that wrote the Declaration of Independence, said this, the general principles on which the fathers achieved independence were the general principles of Christianity. I will vow that I then believed and now believe that those general principles of Christianity are as eternal and immutable as the existence and attributes of God. Now, I believe that, but we are no longer in a nation where we can depend that everybody believes that. We have work to do. We have work to do in, in reaching the secularized people of this, of this world and of this community, of this neighborhood, to reach them for Christ. I believe that it's absolutely necessary that we reach our neighborhood in the face of indifference, lack of understanding, and sometimes outright opposition. Remember what it said in John 1.14. I'm reading now the message. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory of our, with our own eyes. The one of a kind glory like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. Jesus entered a world that was far more in opposition to what he was teaching than the world we live in in the United States right now. But friends, we need to move to present the gospel effectively so that we never get to that place. There's no reason we should be there. The neighborhood he moved into was much like ours, but worse. He desires to truly move into this neighborhood and to move into our neighborhood effectively. He wants that to happen. And here's what I've learned as I've studied and studied and studied. I like to preach. I think I'm even an okay preacher. Uh, we were talking about preaching schedules, and I told Mark not to worry about whether it's fair or not, because the fact of the matter is, until I preach twice on Sunday and once on Wednesday, I won't think it's fair. Okay? But did you know that it's not likely my preaching is going to do the job? It's not likely if I preached every Sunday that would do the job. It was not likely if Pastor Mark preached every Sunday it would do the job. Why? Because almost all of you who are here are Christians. I'm preaching to the choir, which is okay, by the way, 
because we need to be renewed so that we can go out and be the church. And that's what needs to happen. We need to go out and, put, and be the church where we are. We need to be genuinely interested in the people around us. There, the people around us are generally, this, in this society, with all of the technology, people are lonelier than they've ever been. At the beginning, I believe that people want conversation rather than conversion. But conversion can come if our, if our conversation is genuine. Is genuine. And that's what needs to happen. In all of this, we have an opportunity to be the instrument of the Holy Spirit to draw people to Christ. And part of the reason it's going to work is because if we have the same vision, we are one. If we have the same vision, we are one. And through this entire time, as long as I'm alive and beyond, I trust, we will have the same vision and we will be one. We will be one. I pray that that is so and that we will understand better as time goes on how we do this experiment. We're going to do some things that we will try and they will be total flops. They will just fail miserably. But is that a failure? No, now I've learned something. I can use for later. That's exactly the attitude the pastor had. We're going to try some things that will work for a little while. And then it's time to discard it. And we will have learned something. And there will be some things that we'll do that will work like gangbusters. And when that happens, we'll rejoice in it and look for ways to make it better. God calls us to a vision. Just as clearly as God called Paul to Macedonia, God is calling you and I to a vision, to a task. It needs to become consuming in who we are and what we do. God is not asking for just a piece of you. He's asking for all of you. Everything. Let the vision dwell in you and consume you so that as you do ministry either in the neighborhood here or in that neighborhood of relationships that you have, that that vision drives you to serve and to reach. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I'm so thankful for the years that I was able to be with Pastor Gordon. I'm thankful for the vision that he and the rest of, of the people who are here years ago established and that I benefit from. And now I ask that you'll be with us and give us direction and understanding so that that vision can be fulfilled. In all of that, then, we will give you the glory. Amen. Good morning. This last month, uh, unfortunately, because of cutbacks in, in uh, 
the state government and so on and so forth, we lost our preschool, which was with us for over a year. And so we're now about $1,600 a month short on our budget. And that's up to us, all of us who are here, to make up. And so I want you to think about that, pray about that, and see if you can give just a little bit more. Because we want to be here to continue this vision. I have a little poem here I'd like to read. It's called True Charity. C.S. Lewis didn't talk about percentage giving. He said the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. Our charities should pinch and hamper us. If we live at the same level of affluence as other people who have our level of income, we are probably giving too little. Obstacles to charity include greed for luxurious living, greed for money itself, fear of financial insecurity, and showy pride. What does God want you to do? It's time for the offering. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you so much that you've provided this place of worship for us. We thank you that we are the ones who are responsible for keeping it going. We thank you for the opportunities that we have to reach out to our neighbors. And we pray, dear Father, that you help each one of us to be faithful in our giving to you, not only financially, but in our involvement in the church and the things that need to be done here. Now bless us this day. In Jesus' name, amen. In 1871, there was a young man named Horatio Spafford. His son had just died in the Chicago fire at the age of four. He was a lawyer. He had lost everything he had. He was in England with his wife and his daughters. And in 1873, they planned to travel here to the States. So he couldn't go at the time. He put his daughter and his wife on a ship. Halfway over, the ship sank. His wife survived. He lost his family. He got a message from his wife that said just two words, saved alone. At that point, he bought his ticket He got on the next ship to see his wife and sailed to America. When he was over the exact spot where his children had died, he penned this song. It is well with my soul. Today, as each one of us are in a different place, grieving, recovering, laughing, and crying in the same sentence. This song to me represents from a man who knew grief, as Pastor Gordon did, and could counsel people. Listen to the counsel of this song, that we as a congregation can move forward and accomplish the vision and the mission that God has for us.
When peace like a river attendeth my soul When sorrows like sea billows roll Whatever my lot Thou hast taught me to say It is well It is well with my soul My sin Oh, the bliss of this, this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, yes, is nailed to the cross. And I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. It is well with my soul. well, it is well with my soul. Jesus said these words, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Looks like we lost the music, but you haven't lost me, so I'm going to keep going. And Lord, oh, you're coming back? And Lord, yes, the Lord brought the music. Haste the day. When my faith shall be sighed. What a great example. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. And the trump shall resound. And the Lord shall descend, even so it is well with my soul, it is well, it is well with my soul. 
it is well it is well with my soul it is well it is well with my soul. As we leave today, there may each one of us handles grief and concern differently. If you are in need of someone to pray with you uh, at this time to receive comfort, to uh, be able to go on from where we are, I want to invite you to come to the front and there will be staff members here after the benediction that will pray with you if that is what you need as an individual. Will you stand with me for the benediction? Now may the Spirit of God be with us all and open opportunities for us to serve and to share the gospel. Help us then, Father, to see the vision more clearly. Bless us as we go as the church. In Jesus' name, amen.